Outlet Liquor is your place to buy a case. Stock up and save when you shop the lowest prices available every day at Outlet Liquor. You never have to wait for a sale. The more you buy, the more you save. Only at Outlet Liquor. What's your outlet? Folks, happy Tuesday, November 7th. It is train wreck tonight, 316. And man, what an evening we have on tap. Sabres game night, UB game night with a chance to crush the Bobcats at home and make a statement in that MAC conference football. I know, MAC conference. I know you shouldn't say it on the end, folks, but let's face it. You might as well call Western New York Les Miserables because everyone's being Jean Valjean about what happened with Bills and Bengals just under 48 hours ago. We got Slick L, we got Parthamon to come talk about it and break it down. Let's go. You don't stop, you don't stop, you don't stop. You don't stop. Folks, welcome back on Trainwreck tonight, 316 Stone Cold Steve Austin edition, brought to you by the place to buy a case, Outlet Liquor, George Open Boulevard in Depew. Make it your spot this fall and every fall and every day going forward for all of time. And speaking of all of time, and especially on Saturdays, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Slick. Slick, outside of the Bengals game, how was the weekend? How was the fallout Monday? Pretty good. Uh, not enough rest Monday, but, you know, good weekend. Getting some good weather while we could, I guess. You know, this elite fall that they call it. But So elite. You know, looking forward to the week coming up and Monday night football next week as well. Again, another big seven days on tap starting tonight with UB Ohio and obviously Sabres right. at Hurricanes. And I can't call him the voice of reason, but maybe just call him like based because he kind of keeps like, you know, even though the train is always moving, he keeps us kind of based, keeps us on our toes. Mr. Mike Partham, welcome to the program, sir. How are you doing tonight, Maniac? Uh, the vibes are definitely kind of off after the Bengals game. Uh, this morning on WGR's morning show, Howard Simon picked the Bills to go 8-9. and nine. That's the first time to a losing record since 2018. So when Howard can't even pick the Bills to, you know, when he's feeling down, everybody else is feeling down, and it all just collapses from there, I guess. Yeah, and to, I hate to say it, but feeling down would actually be a compliment to how I think Bills Mafia and how online Bills fans feel. I don't know how it's been for you guys the last 48 hours, but it just feels like misery. And, it, you know, I understand it when you have a bad loss. And let's face it, McDermott's had some bad losses over the years. It's not like, you know, losing as a 10-point favorite, 7-point favorite, or anything like that new necessarily i guess it's just happening on a consistent basis this year obviously it's frustrating fans beyond all doubt with that said you know what is your take is it an overreaction are people putting too much blame on one thing where do you see the angry mob are, are they misguided or are they are they spot on slack um i was i was talking about this with a few people today ultimately i don't um our that last offensive possession, if we could hold them one more, 
saved that last down, we would have still been in the game. We shouldn't have, but we were. So I think people need to realize that this is a very good Bengals team. They've had a lot going for them. Uh, they started off slow and they've been strong ever since. This is the team that we knew we had to look out for going into the season. But with that being said, we're not playing up to caliber and something needs to be addressed. And I don't know exactly what to put my finger on. There is definitely a couple points that need to be corrected per se, but I don't have the answers. Very frustrating to say the least. Partham, what do you think? Well, let me just make a note that uh, the Pay the Bills pod is going to be moved uh, this week uh, from its usual Thursday time slot. Uh, me and Jake uh, both have uh, plans this Thursday. Uh, actually, my plans, to just a shout out to 26 Shirts, involve uh, going to their 10-year 10, 10 anniversary party at uh, Sports 365 Bar and Grill from 5 to 10 p.m. So I hope to see any of you out there there. Uh, but as far as on the surface level, how do I break down the blame? Uh, there's, bl there's blame pie to go around. Uh Allen seems to be making that one big dumb interception per game. This time he stared down a wide receiver. He double clutched. He got suckered in by the cornerback and just cut off an early drive short. Again, not unlike the Patriots game early on. Uh, you got McDermott using a challenge flag on a very inconsequential like nine-yard play and uh, notably putting Von Miller in, who's still trying to get up to speed as it is, put him in on the final drive where the Bengals are trying to run out the clock. And Von Miller is a passing specialist. And they're using him sparingly as it is in that regard. So I don't know how much blame you put on Vaughn. He says he needs to make that play, but uh, that's not the play that we really uh, signed him here to make. We, we signed him here to be a closer in a passing situation when we had the lead, not to keep the other uh, offense to uh, get them off the field so we can go down and score. But uh, Ken Dorsey is still not consistently staying with the up-tempo offense. They scored on the very first drive. Uh, going right down the field. They scored in the very last drive going right down the field, looking like a no-huddle, very fast-paced offense. And what was in between? Uh, they did get one touchdown before the half, but uh, a three and out here, four and out here. And uh, you've got players saying or indicating, uh, Kincaid most notably, just directly saying, maybe we should stick with the up-tempo offense. And Allen's kind of shrugging his shoulders, not unlike us here, saying, I'm just running the plays that are called. So, I think the tide may be starting to turn as far as the pressure getting to uh, Ken Dorsey, as far as the offensive philosophy and where they should go. And that's a great point that you brought up because, you know, a lot of things, you know, at least aren't making sense with this bills team uh, and plain and simple. The one thing that stood out to everybody from the post game presser, I think every, you know, analyst has wrote about it, talk about it, but there really is no answer. Why do you go away from the up-tempo offense when it's seemingly you go right down to the field on the Bengals? Do you guys think that honestly, like, because they did mention specifically they changed, they wanted to try out different offense, yada, yada, like it's some kind of weird restaurant tasting event or something like that. But do you honestly think that that's communication from McDermott to Dorsey? Like for some reason to slow it down, because after going down 14, seven, I don't know why McDermott would be telling Dorsey like, Hey, let's slow it down after that drive. We just scored on the whole thing just seems a little mysterious to me. and just doesn't add up at the end of the day. So the bottom line is, is it coming from McDermott at some point during the game or throughout the week with the game planning? Or is that something that's Dorsey specific? Do what do each of you think? I, you know, I think maybe throughout the week, there might be a game plan instilled by McDermott, but I think Mc. What we've relatively seen in these press conferences when McDermott talks about the offensive game plan is it sounds like he has a lot of trust in Ken Dorsey. So the way I see it is it's probably coming down to Ken Dorsey making that call throughout the game. Is it a right one? Absolutely not. And it seems like McDermott's just trying at that point when asked about it this weekend on the postgame presser that he's simply just trying to bail out the the offensive scheme and find an excuse um for the abysmal mistake made there i gotta say too our defense for once bailed us out in the second half and that does not help the spotlight whatever kind of spotlight is on the offense right now at all because people had questions about the defense too because it's decimated with injuries and then when push comes to shove we step up against a really good team so our offense can put us in position to win and they don't do it because of crucial mistakes made by maybe a few people, but I think it's probably Ken making that call down the, down the line. What do you think Parthy? Hmm. 
The defense at this point is a mass shooting being held together by duct tape and flex seal. So we cannot rely on them, even if we're bringing uh, some half-decent guys in at the trade deadline or off the street. Uh, ultimately, you got to outscore the other team, especially when your defense you can't rely on your defense. And if going up-tempo puts more pressure on your defense, well, then so be it. Because at the end of the day, you can't rely on them. As great as they play against the, uh, the high-powered uh, Cincinnati offense, you can't expect that every week. I mean, we gave up 29 points to the freaking Patriots for crying out loud. So at the end of the day, you just got to trust your offense to this is the, the eternal, uh, you know, back in the old days when we watched the no huddle offense of the bills of yore, it was always, well, if they went three and out, then the defense would be right out there and they'd be a little bit gassed. Well, that's the risk you have to take. That's the price you have to pay in order to score points in this league sometimes. And, you know, you want to take the pressure off your defense, score more points. That's the bottom line. Uh, Dorsey, I believe, has previously said that McDermott does have a say in offensive philosophy. Now, does that mean he wants – Is does that mean balanced offense with running and passing is the uh, complementary football that Sean McDermott talks about? Uh, or is uh, McDermott just saying to go out there and score points and Dorsey is sort of uh, unsure of how to do that because he's switching back and forth between offensive philosophies? We don't know at this point. Can we admit right now, though, that the fan base does get a little, like, hypocritical because you'll have a great game against, like, the Dolphins, for example. Sam Martin plays great. The defense plays great. Allen makes plays. Of course, those are all the facets of the game playing together. But then when we lose and when McDermott says we need all the facets to play together, people get frustrated. I don't understand why that happens. I saw something that sums it up perfectly today. It's Bills fans will place the blame on anything, but what they're really mad at is losing and losing sucks. And it seems to be a new thing every week that we're focusing the blame on. Oh, defense steps up this week. Now it's the offensive problem. Offense was still putting up points against Miami, but we let up a whole bunch of points. So yeah, I think Bill's Twitter is seemingly sounding like Sabres Twitter right now. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to say right there. So that is a lot. Listen, at the end of the day, the Miami game feels like a whole season ago. It feels it like does. a different offense. And they were playing with a different defense. They were playing a lot more loose because they trusted their defense. And now, now that now that the so many guys have been in, so many guys were injured coming into this Bengals game, and we don't even know how many more are going to be out for this upcoming game against the Broncos. So if they're really that scared of their own shadow, i.e., their own defense, and they're going to be limiting and holding back their offense to, you know, not make sure they're getting off the field too quickly, then ultimately they're playing not to lose, which is ultimately going to get you lost. Okay. Well, Hey, let's get into it. We've been kind of promoting it. Everyone wants to do it right now. And I feel like everyone's shifting a little bit too much one way or the other. It's time for the blame pie. And I think that there's three people that need to take to eat this blame pie right now. And before I lock that in, I'll, I'll, I'll be open to what you guys suggest, but Allen or McDermott, Dorsey, and Allen. I think those three it comes down to plain and simple for the responsibility, the state of the offense right now, and hipso facto, the state of the team, and obviously what happened in Cincinnati. Partham, you want to start? Uh I'll just simply break it down as Dorsey 50 and Allen and McDermott 25 each. Wow. I I will probably oh man. You just spat that out. That was quick. Um, I'm going to go. Well, oh, and real quick, real quick. Before Slick goes, Partham, what mm. do you think the fan base is pieing right now? That's the general feel I get from the fan base. That uh, I mean, McDermott is making some questionable decisions. You think, you think the same amount of people are blaming Josh Allen who are blaming McDermott, Parthy? Hmm. No, no shot. Well, I think the people who are looking more closely at the All-22 and seeing Allen missing uh, wide receivers here and there who are open and trying to take the tough throws, even after Tom Brady over the weekend himself, you know, Josh Allen's idol growing up was saying, take the easy throws. And Josh Allen couldn't even take, you know, his favorite football player's advice to heart. So at the end of the day, the offensive coordinator has got to get be the one to get the quarterback out of his own mistakes. These people act like Dable could reel in like Josh Allen at any point. We all just saw for a fact that Tom Brady can't even reel Josh Allen in. Uh, just like, what do you got? I think I'm going to go 45 Dorsey, 35 McDermott, 20 Allen. Okay, so you're a little and, bit more of a variety there. Yeah, I because I want – so I really did want to even out 
McDermott and Dorsey, because I think if you really want to talk about blame, you it's hard to just put it on one leg. It, it does really come down to the head coach. You can talk about the scheme all you want, but the head coach has got to have everyone on the same page. But I can't do it just, just because the scheming to me has seemed that bad. I got to give a little more to Dorsey. And the only reason Allen has the value he does on my blame pie is because of Partham's point that he seems to make one of those stupid interceptions once per game at this point. And when, it's not like they're just like Mac Jones hitting a guy on the hand and bouncing to a receiver. Hmm. Like it's really bad. Like we yeah. double are... coverage back shoulder of the defender. I mean, there was... are some throws that Josh Allen's making plain and simple. He, I don't think he would have even attempted 2020, 2021, uh, just real bad interceptions. I think I'm about to pull two surprises here. First, I blame Allen and Dorsey equally. I think mm. that if you really saw behind the scenes that ultimately Josh Allen is just in control as in control of this offense as Dorsey is. You think that Dorsey's implementing something without Allen's approval? You think that he's bringing something that Allen doesn't like, that Allen's running a chagrin? Now, I know there has been some mentioning of the post-game presser where McDermott and Allen seem to both point towards the offensive scheme and everything like that. So this is a little bit tentative, but I think they're both at this point equally responsible for where the offense is at. Allen has had some bad turnovers. A lot of people have excused him. Listen, he makes plays that win us games and we are going to ride and die. I will ride and die with Josh until he's 60 years old. I don't care if that's how long we have to have him for, but I will ride and die for them for that long. But you can't deny that throwing a pick on the first drive of the Patriots game, you know, the pick, especially, I don't even think they Bengals scored, uh, but, but throwing a pick on your own side of the field against the Bengals in a game like that, like, it's just not acceptable. I'm sorry. It's not a play that you can have from somebody who's supposed to win you the game, especially like you mentioned, Partham, when the all 22 is showing that there maybe are some safer, easier options that he's simply electing not to take. So I'm going to take Dorsey and Allen both at 25% and a, a little surprise here. Cause I know I support McDermott on, on social a lot. I know I have his back, but he's 50% responsible. If just as much as da Dorsey and Allen are in charge of the offense, he's in charge of the whole team. The offense is part of the team. Now, maybe he's twiddling his thumbs a little bit too much on that, which people have been saying, people have been hinting to. People say that goes all the way back to Dable and him not getting along in 20, 2021, et cetera, et cetera. Yada, yada, yada to me. All I know is that if I'm McDermott, I'm sticking to my strengths. I'm focusing on stopping Russell Wilson this week, who's actually has some really good stats on the year and writing this ship and getting it going the right direction. But yeah, for me right now, it's 50 McDermott, 25 Allen and Dorsey. Last but not least, just to put a wrap on the overall state of the Bills, is the Super Bowl still in play, Jones? Howard Simon picking a losing record is demoralizing mm. on a day you're asking this question. Yeah. At present, no. At present, with the way their defense is, with their sputtering and inconsistent offense, no. They may, okay. they may for, ultimately fall into an AFC East title if Miami keeps slipping back, if the Jets can't catch up. But right now, I don't see them getting all the way. And for testimonial purposes, I'm going to do a little cross-examination here. Would you have said something similar around late November, early December of 2021 when they I don't were 7-6 before they I went on that run and got hotter than earth? This is not like 2021. They got robbed on that la on the last few plays by the Bucks. They got a stupid weather game against the Patriots. We were not – I don't believe we were saying the same, nearly the same things about Dable's offense and the Bills overall back at that point. What week was the Colts game that year? I don't know. I want to say 11 or 12. It was right in the middle of November. Okay, then, yeah, I would have said no then, and I'm saying no now. Okay, um, all right. The Super Bowl's off. Super Bowl's off, boys. But, like, this this is the difference, right? That I thought if you have Josh Allen, your window's always open. That's what I That's what I heard all offseason. Yeah, Um. about that. <laughs> so, but, like, so here, here's where I was going. The situation from 2021 is also drastically different with the AFC East picture right now. It might not be possible for a wild card here. It might be division or bust. It might be. That's fair. And that makes your window a hell of a lot smaller, especially when this Dolphins team is right there neck and neck with you. I don't have to say really the same about the Jets, but even if we do win the division, I think we're not getting past KC. We're not getting past Cincinnati. I would love to say that sentiment maniac. I might've said that a lot of times in, Maybe I didn't know if I believed it or not. Right now, I don't think 
the Super Bowl is plausible. You know I, what? I I probably you know what? Back in the days, people were probably saying the same things about Dan Fouts, uh, Dan Marino, and uh, Philip Rivers that their Super Bowl window was always open. But you look back and you analyze, like in particular Marino's history, they totally mismanaged. Uh, those Dolphins teams that Marino quarterbacked. They didn't get him any receiver help after uh, the Marks brothers left. They never gave him any defensive help, never gave him any uh, running back help. So, I mean, you can have the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest passer of all time. And if you leave him on an island, and Josh Allen, I believe, can win this team on his own. If he just plays backyard football and runs every third or fourth down, maybe he could will us to a divisional round game just on his own. But once he starts going starts going up against better defenses and better teams overall that he's going to have to score for score with, then that's where we're going to meet our limit. Even if we do it that way. Okay. Fair. Super Bowl's off everybody. Just make sure you know for the down. time being three areas of focus versus Denver before we get into some Sabres talk. I know it feels a little, I, I mean, Bill's fans, it's crazy. I remember when we beat the commanders, people could not wait for the Dolphins game. It was like, they were already talking about it that night. They were talking about the next day. There wasn't even commander's celebration. It was just, you were on to the Dolphins. Right now, it feels like nobody even like cares about this next game. And it's a Monday night football game at home. I mean, and I hate to say it's like, but it's another primetime game where we're going to be hosting an event. And it's basically, if they win, they stay alive. And if they lose, the season's virtually over. Just like it was for the Giants and just like it was for the Bucks game. Yeah, here we are uh, in control of our own destiny more than ever against a really weak Broncos team. Um, three areas of focus. I'm going to start with the offensive line. We can't seem to get a run going to save our life. And Cook has shown that he can do it this season. I'm looking for some improvements there. The secondary as well, although they did step up in the second half of the last game. And then I just want to see Josh be Josh. That is the main focus I've had on my mind for, it seems, the past three games now. Josh just needs to do what Josh Allen does best and play wild, loose cannon football. That's what seems to win him games. That's why his teammates love him. That's why the fan base is ride or die for him. Like you said, I'll ride or die with him until he's 60 years old. I don't care. Until he's six Whoa, feet. Oh, so my word, bar for bar. Until he's six feet under, I don't care. Um, but let Josh do Josh Allen things. That's what the key to success is. Get the offensive clicking with the run game as well. And let's be firing on all cylinders. I'm not ready to give in to this negative attitude. Did we look like we absolutely suck? Yeah, we did. But it's still bills by a billion. I think we steamroll Denver. I don't care, dude. Enough with the negative shit. I'm done with Cincinnati. I'm done with the games before that. Get me to Monday Night Football in Orchard Park. Let's go, Bills. We're going to steamroll the Mile high, high team. I'm sure we were saying the same things about the Giants and the Patriots. Oh, here's a couple of gimme games that we should be able to win. But uh, here we go with the Broncos and Jets. And before we go into the gauntlet of the season, we have a couple of games that, even after our struggles, we should be a superior team to these guys. And I have my doubts now. I hate, hate to be a negative Nancy, but uh, we've been in this position before. When you lose to a couple of the, the 30th and 30th, 31st place teams in some of the most categories that they're in, uh, nothing is certain anymore. You can't uh, guarantee anything. So as far as what I want to focus on in Denver, embrace the up-tempo offense. Don't worry about your defense. Just go and score points any way you can, as fast as you can. Uh, find a way to utilize Gabe Davis with his limited route tree or he's been he was a ghost last game and Allen tried to get the ball ball to him maybe once or twice uh face mask in the end zone certainly didn't help that the officials didn't call but we can't complain about the officials of course uh and just Josh Allen taking the easy throws like we've been telling him to do all this time and just not get suckered into any more uh stupid interceptions very fair. Very fair. Uh, yeah. Three years of focus. I love what you said. And for me, they're all on the offensive side. Let Josh be Josh. No turnovers. We can't have a turnover. I don't know what that, whether that means Josh and I making picks, whether for turnover, you just can't have a turnover against Denver. I'm sorry. And get everybody involved. Like you said, the Shakirs, the cooks in the passing game. And obviously you love to see Kincaid bursting out of the scene. The It's so funny is that, you know, you think he would be a prime candidate to put blame on, but I don't see anyone blaming Kincaid. I think everyone was very happy with the progression he showed as being a top passing option and what it could potentially mean 
for this offense. If he becomes a 70 to, you know, 90 yard guy every game, I think we're talking about a very dangerous offense. But we're going to be looking, gents, for some very dangerous offense in Carolina tonight from the Sabres. We'll be joined on the other side of this message from our sponsor with Gatesy as we get ready for Carolina. Outlet Liquor is your place to buy a case. Stock up and save when you shop the lowest prices available every day at Outlet Liquor. You never have to wait for a sale. The more you buy, the more you save. Only at Outlet Liquor. What's your outlet? You got to love the Sabres. You got to love Gatesy. Gatesy, welcome to the program. Big game tonight, obviously, in Carolina. They're a rival of mine, uh, going back to, obviously, the 06 days when they brutally sent us home crying in Game 7, thanks to Cam Ward. With that said, what do you view as the biggest wild card in this Sabres-Hurricanes matchup tonight? I, I mean, it really just comes down to, I think, some some young guys for Buffalo. Ryan Johnson's getting the opportunity to play alongside Rasmus Dahlin on the first D pairing tonight. Those two together, it's going to be the Wild West, I feel like, Maniac, like, you got Dowling, who's really shored up his defensive side of the game the past year or two, alongside Johnson, who's playing in his second career NHL game. He looked good in the first one, made that great pass to Skinner for the goal. Uh, so I think that, and then UPL's got to be the guy. I mean, we've, we've been singing the, the UPL train for, for a while now, and when he's on, he's on. And if he makes some big saves early, keeps the Sabres in it, I can see the Sabres team just running up, hopefully getting some goals. I know Carolina's having some issues in that right now with some stuff off the ice. Um, so hopefully the Sabres can, you know, find, find the back of that a couple times. UPL can be the guy and Ryan Johnson could maybe be the partner of Dowling for the future. Possibly we'll find out tonight. Sabres have obviously been playing a little bit better as of late. It was a slow offensive start to the season, kind of working in that scheme, seeing them get better as we go. Uh, Gatesy, why don't you start us off and then we'll go around the horn here. You know, we obviously see Sabres Twitter every day. We kind of see the numbers. The offense has obviously been better, but there's still a couple areas of improvement outside of goaltending, obviously, which can always be better, always be more consistent. What do you view as the biggest area of need for Sabres focus like right away? And what do they need to do strongly tonight in Carolina to have a win? I mean, right now, I think the Sabres' biggest issue is things going on off the ice on Twitter, on on X. Like, it's a lot of this outside noise, I think, coming in. And you have a young team that's has consistency issues. Like, we we knew this from the start going into the offseason. And I just think a lot of people didn't expect the inconsistencies to start off the get-go. I mean, I don't know if you can say we've been blessed or cursed that the Sabres have had hot starts the past however many years, and they, they fall off. Right now, they're at 500. A win tonight gets them over 500. I think they just stay around this this area. You know, years past, you have gone these crazy win streaks and, and losing streaks. If this team could stay around 500 the whole year, I think that'd be awesome. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, just staying consistent up front and scoring. Because we know, you know, the team is what it is. And they can score goals. That's kind of how they're going to win games. Especially as we get closer, you know, to the trade deadline. Through all this stuff going toward the course of the year. Um the, the team is going to go through rough, some rough patches, but if the scoring can stay somewhat consistent, that's going to push them over the edge, you know, stay in that wild card race. And so they can stay in that through the whole course of the year. But yeah, right now, keeping that scoring consistent going from there. Parthy, anything you're seeing on the Sabres side? Uh, I was going to say goaltending, but then you're a little headline. Well, yeah, you can't, there. <laughs> that's, that's like saying you can't use the bloodline and wrestling with emotion for best thing in wrestling. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess uh, getting down early in games, uh, at least what I've seen, uh, how uh, didn't they didn't the Flyers score like two goals within the first two minutes of the last game? Uh, we got down one nothing to the uh, Leafs early on, and we had to play catch up with them. We ultimately caught up with them as it was, but uh, try and get the first goal on the board and then go from there, uh, so you can not have your goaltenders, you know, having to play on their heels all the game. Uh, and for as far as goaltending, it seems to be pretty up and down. UPL had a, has, has himself a good game versus the Flyers and then a bad game versus the Flyers. Uh, I saw Devin Levi out there making a flashy save or two, uh, still only put up 24 of 28, 24 saves on 28 shots. But most of that was the Austin Matthews doing his hat trick thing. So ultimately, I think Levi is going to be good. UPL will be serviceable as a, a second goalie. But uh, Try and try and get out ahead of scoring. Don't wait until uh, the second or third period to uh, you know intensify your uh, shooting. I guess. My biggest, my biggest concern is defensive depth and maybe the correct pairings going together. I think UPL has had an overall good season. There's just a lot of times he's been left out to dry, and even in those games where he gives up three to four goals, which seem to be a few, um, he stood on his head for some really important minutes of the hockey game 
And that all comes to the defense leaving him out to dry. I'm not saying the whole pair, um, the the depth, once you get past Darlene and Power, even those pairings, when who those two are together, you just got to find the right fit. And like Gatesy said, with Johnson coming up tonight, maybe that creates a spark for this young core. And another great point Gatesy had, this young core, if they see themselves have a big night tonight and go up over 500 for the first time on the season, that'll get the boys buzzing in the locker room. And once you get that momentum going on the ice, it's hard to slow down, especially with the offensive star power these Sabres seem to have. And that offense playing great hockey, especially out of the guys we need it from, like Jeff Skinner, because you know he's a big voice in that locker room. So I'd look, I'm look, i looking for the defense to play a little more consistently. But minor things, it's a long season, and hopefully you can get a big dub tonight. Sabres are only Sabres are only three points out of second place in the Atlantic Division right now. Uh, the Boston Bruins are pretty much holding court right now. They're ten one and one. They're they're uh, three opponents away from us. We've got uh, the Wild coming up at four five and two. The Penguins at four six and zero. So not unlike the Bills, winnable games here that we got to get home here. Interesting uh, little note that uh, Gatesy pointed out. He found this on the Saber Report. The Sabers have not won in Carolina since March twenty second, twenty sixteen, when Chad Johnson was in goal. So Jeez. a little bit of a bugaboo for the Sabres going into Carolina tonight. That must be why they have a uh, Carolina minus 2015 in the money line. I did not expect to hear that today. Wait, they're not, they're not minus 2015 part. They're, they're minus 250. 250 okay. Sorry. Jeez. Minus number. 2015 is like when those <laughs> European soccer teams play like a, you know, a league. I'm a, just going like, apologize. No, it's all good. It's all good. Minus 2015 is like a leg of degenerate Al's chalk part. <laughs> minus 2015 is like Alabama hosting like Chanticleer or something like, Jeez. okay. With that said, I got to say something right now. Does this feel like the most complete Savers roster we've had since like, I don't know, like last decade plus? I mean, I I mean, the scoring is crazy. You have two bona fide stars in your defensive, you know, core. So you just have to build around them and they've done that. I think they like their guys and they have their goaltenders. I'm sorry. I know that everyone didn't like it all off season, but these are their guys. So these are the guys they want. So, with that all said, I think it really comes down to Donnie G's ability to push the buttons right now. Can he can he mix those lines to, to keep the offense going like it has been? Like it has been. And you kind of assume that's going to be with the scorers. But because the thing is, you know, Donnie G is a coach and this whole staff, you know, everyone has gotten better. Everyone has improved. You don't doubt their ability to improve players and get them to an NHL level, get them to their confidence, things like that. But yeah, you need to see him pushing the right buttons right now. You need to get through the sludge of November and then get to December above 500, like Slick said. Speaking of which, five-year anniversary of the start of the 10-game winning streak in 2018. What do you remember about it? The, the one thing that sticks out to me is that that might have been the, la- the last time I could remember where local Sabres fanhood was, like, actually almost encroaching on or above Bill's fanhood. Like, I think it was actually, like, around the sixth game of it, seven, eight. Like, it was going nuts. When RJ busted out the scary good after game 10... I mean, come on. That was electric. That was like, that was like edge coming back to the WWE in 2020. But that said, anyone, you know, feel free to jump in any memories, anything that sticks out, just thinking back to that. I do remember we were at 95% to make the playoffs after it happened. That, that's what sticks out to me the most too. Yeah. I think up until last year, the last Sabres game I went to was the last home win on that, that victory stretch against Montreal, the overtime one. And like that arena was just rocking to an extent that I even think was possible. And even like looking at Sabres games now, it's like, it's like two totally different eras. It feels like, but it was only five years ago that the arena was feeling like that. The buzz in the city was just unmatched. It was, it was the Saberhood like that. Buffalo was breathing the Sabres at that point. Hopefully we can get back to that. And it's just, yeah, that, that run just, that team felt invincible. But when you look at the clip today on crossing swords pod, of you know the celebration of that roster i'm like who are these guys how did this team win 10 games in a row and you can look at the saber squad now struggling to get above 500 it's like what was going on at that time for that team to be that good and i mean looking at the roster now it's just i have so much hope for the present and the future it's not just a flash in the pan what, what was going on back then as far as the analytics were concerned i mean were the was everybody saying that uh, this couldn't be sustained? I, I seem to remember something to that effect that uh, these, these this team is just getting away with it. 
The way they were, it wasn't, it wasn't sustainable, but the one thing was that they had just acquired Jeff Skinner and he was literally scoring mm-hmm. every game. So it was just like, is Jeff Skinner going to come to the Sabres under Phil Housley and score like 50 to 60 goals? Like, and then that's almost like a guarantee. Now Skinner, I think scored 40 that year, but also did have a stretch where I think he didn't score for like 15 games or something crazy towards the end of the year because they really did fall off. But yeah, the analytics, like for example, I remember this specifically, the seventh game when they were playing Philly at home and Philly was like a 500 team at this point. They were they were even money odds against against the Flyers going into the seventh game of the streak. So Vegas was definitely like up to snuff on what was going on. Yeah, yeah. It, Sorry, it, it was it was nice to hear you know scary good one more time from RJ. But uh, in retrospect, it just felt it felt like more like the kiss of death there. But slick, go ahead. Yeah, I think for me, what I remember most from that that run was just pleasant surprise and almost disbelief, and then. This is the biggest one for me of that time period. It's crashing down to reality after that 10-game winning streak. The downfall was greater than the come-up. It really was. That's the worst part of it. Seems to be a common theme in Sabres hockey over the past 10 years, unfortunately. But I feel really good about this team. And I don't – I'm kind of upset that I was reminded about that team five years ago that did win 10 games. And then I would go on to hate, like, a lot of guys – from that roster. So I'm not going to mention them by name. I love the guys we have now, and I'm hoping we can get a good momentum going against the Canes tonight. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into it. Definitely whooping for a big win. Uh, Gatesy, any final thoughts for that game tonight? Yeah. I I mean, it's just two teams who are trying to find their footing early on that. I think a lot of people did expect to have somewhat better records. I mean, Buffalo's 500, which it's okay by me, but um, yeah, I think it's just two kind of younger teams trying to figure things out. And I think it should be a really fun hockey game for, you know, people on the fence about watching it. This would be a good, you know, show from Buffalo too, after having a great game against Toronto, can they continue that? Or are they going to, you know, fall on their face yet again when they should be building some momentum? I think, uh, we'll find out a lot about this team tonight. We will find out a lot about this team tonight. And speaking of which we'll find out a lot about me and Slick's boy, Marcus Fuqua, as we get set to take on Ohio at Alumni Stadium tonight. This is a big game. UB currently 3-1 and one in conference. Uh, I believe uh, Miami, or 3-2, and two, I'm sorry. Miami of Ohio sitting at 4-1 and one in conference. They play next week. So if UB holds serve here, they have a chance to jump that tiebreaker and have a spot at Detroit, which would be amazing. But speaking of great venues with stuff going down, Slick, UFC 295 at MSG this weekend. We got multiple belts on the line. Tell me more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, uh, about a month ago, fans all over the world, MMA fans, were a bit disappointed to find out the greatest of all time, Rochester's own John Jones, had tore his pectoral muscle off the bone. Really devastating news. But the fight that we got out of this instead might be a better fight because I thought Jones was going to kill Stipe. We have a vacant heavyweight title fight for an interim title. So they're setting up a fight without Stipe, saving him for John Jones. And we got arguably the two best young heavyweights in the world right now of MMA going for the interim heavyweight championship. Tom Aspinall out of England versus Sergei Pavlovich, Al's Sergei Pavlovich, who's looks like an unstoppable force, right? He looks like the white Francis Ngannou from Russia, if I had to compare him to someone which is a scary thought. A Russian guy built like Francis Ngannou, uh, need I say more. That fight's going to be a banger. Make sure to make that. And then the light heavyweight main event for the championship, Yuri Prohaska is coming back after a 500-plus day layoff. Speaking of injuries, he had to vacate the belt, and he's going against Alex Pajeda, moving up a weight division, the guy that knocked out Israel Adesanya in spectacular fashion, looking to quickly become a two-division champion of the UFC, which he's already done in glory kickboxing. This fight should be phenomenal. And we got some guys on the undercard, too, as well that I like, as well as the whole main card. Hey, UFC loves to put a show on at once a year at MSG, and uh, they always come through. And this card will not disappoint, despite John Jones and Stipe not fighting on it. We'll get that fight somewhat down the line. But these two title fights are going to be worth tuning in for. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first major UFC pay-per-view since their merger with WWE? No. Okay. But it's going to be an MSG, uh, WWE's backyard. Can we expect to see any uh, 
wrestling celebrities there. Maybe Vince, Triple H, maybe Pat McAfee, like we've seen there before. I had yeah. to think that Vince has to be minus three hundred to be. There, I, th- I think I sure. think they're gonna get. I think they're gonna get Vince and Triple H probably front row, especially with the merger. I part them to your point. I think this is the first major pay per view on U.S. soil okay. since, since yeah. the merger. So definitely expect to see the celebs out. Hey, I mean, it's the Mecca, baby. It's the concrete jungle. The celebs are going to come out for Dana and their boys at the cage side. You know, this is going to be a spectacular event. It's going to be something worth watching. It is going to be something worth watching. And speaking of which, wrestling, whether it's AEW or WWE, has most definitely been worth watching. I don't know if I'll be watching NXT on the CW, but maybe I'll DVR it. We'll see. Let's get into a quick maybe lightning round around the horn here of uh, what we think some of the big storylines to come in the future will be. So I'm going to kick it off with some WWE stuff. How do you guys see in like roughly 30 seconds, Rhodes, his ultimate story finishing out, and what do you see happening with Priest and the uh, and the briefcase at this point? It's like, why don't you kick us off? We'll go around the horn. Uh, so I didn't have time to catch the main event of Raw last night, so that probably plays a big part into Priest's future. I think we all know where Cody's path is going. Whatever inning it is, we'll get back around to home at some point. You know what I mean? So. Damian Priest, though, I think really promising. I think he will hold that title whenever he cashes in. When that is, I have no idea. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Survivor Series, but there's a lot more in store for that that uh, we'll just have to wait and see what it is. But I feel like not enough people are talking about AEW full gear and how close that is and all the shit going on with MJF. Like It seems like everyone in that locker room wants his head. We got that. Hold hold off. Hold off. Let's stick with WWE for a second. Bartham, what do you got? I think Damian Priest is a future world heavyweight champion, but I think he's going to fail his cash in. And I think it's going to be due to Judgment Day dissension. And ultimately, that's going to be his breakaway because they've been teasing a face turn from him. He's been a little bit more, you know, respectable, honorable with his opponents in recent months. So I think that's where this is ultimately going. I think. Seth is going to take that title into WrestleMania. As far as Cody goes, we have had previous uh, in the past, in the distant past, I should point out, uh, back-to-back Royal Rumble winners, uh, Hulk Hogan, HBK, and Steve Austin among them. Uh, Trainwreck 316, there you go. Uh, so I don't, and I don't see it, the winner of the Royal Rumble challenging the world heavyweight champion, whether it be Seth or somebody else. So ultimately, I think Cody has to win the Rumble, and he's going to get his rematch with uh, Roman at WrestleMania. Oh yeah, JT? that makes sense to me. Like, I just feel like WWE's almost has a too good of a problem right now, where they have. I feel like a couple of guys that should, you know, be in that conversation, but only one of them can really be the guy that take the belt off Roman. And I feel like it's it's tough because you build these guys up and they're gonna fall on their face. Like, look at Priest; he's either gonna, you know, fail his cash in due to some sort of shenanigans, or he just falls on his face, or you know, he gets it, and then then what happens? You got other guys vying for him that. You know, could that be Rhodes? You have uh, Gunther coming up. All these guys in the WWE system who I feel like are almost stagnant where they're at because they can't, you know, get that belt on them for whatever reason it is. But I don't know. It's almost it's a good problem for WWE to have because I feel like in the past what ten years it's uh, who's who's you know who's going to have the belt. But we'll see what happens. We shall see what happens. There's lots coming WWE. Let's swing over to the AEW side of things. It's the biggest storyline. Is it anybody but Britt Baker as the devil? Hmm. Well, most of MJF's rivals are pretty much in his face at this point. Jay White's going to challenge him. Samoan Joe's waiting in the wings. Wardlow's basically stalking him at this point. Wardlow, Wardlow, did, I, I, did, I didn't mind the spot on Wednesday, but he did the biggest, like, dumb oaf thing, which is, I'm going to take it from you when you least expect it. Which, anybody is else get, which is basically, like, not, like, really that much of a surprise, Wardlow. Did anybody else get Gene Snitsky vibes when he was, oh, like, you know, man. Put, holding up Michael Cole way back in the day when Wardwell was, you know, cornering MJF there. I think, I mean, this is going to be a grand scheme. They're going to, they're going to eventually unleash what they tried to do at the end of 2021. Was it when they had uh, Adam Cole turn on the young bucks there, right? Hmm. They're going to, they're going to eventually, they hit, pull, they're going to they finally pull really off what they want to do, but it's going to happen with, it's going to happen with MJF. It's going to happen uh, with everyone. And Adam Cole becomes, Potentially the number one heel in AEW. Christian is holding on to that spot. Hmm. 
They have yeah. not addressed that Adam Cole turning on the Bucks since Adam Cole has been back, and that really kind of bothers me. Yeah, that's that is one true. Of the, uh, I, I, I think we've I think we've said it's the only time where AEW has not like done what AEW does, which is they always address stuff. They always pointed out, even when Moxley and Omega had that monster botch, they were like talking about it like a conspiracy theory. The next like episode it was great, but they have not addressed them turning on him, which is obviously it's it's almost like a Chekhov's gun of sorts, Parthi. Mm. Do we think that MJF ultimately Slick? I'll let you go first. Do we think MJF ultimately stays with the AEW? I think all these opponents getting throw it at MJF at once, and all these challenges they have all the times he's wrestling. They're trying to cram in as much uh, defenses for MJF before he may ultimately have to drop the belt if he's going to leave. Slick, what do you think? I think uh, people are thinking too hard about this. I think MJF. I think and, and partly it's something I, I got to jump slick. Here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, no. Yeah. It actually makes that. sense. It makes it like, like, you know, in WWE, it's so funny. One guy gets a shot at like the top title or the heavyweight title. There, and it's like nobody else on the entire roster cares the whole time about that top title. They're just acting like they don't even care about it in AEW. They all give a fuck about it and they all hate MJF <laughs> and they're all looking for an excuse to get after him. So yeah, it's more of like a reality to me, but slick, go ahead. Yeah, like you said, there's a laundry list of guys that want to face MJF. Speaking of which, shout out our boy Daniel Garcia facing MJF for that world title tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit him with yes. that. Uh, okay, with that good, said. Good, best, best of wishes, DG. But I think MJF holds this title for a while. And they're doing all – they're playing into this contract stuff. Everyone's thinking about it too much. I guarantee when 2024 comes around, belt or not – MJF is going to disappear for like two months and then one random dynamite or pay-per-view he'll come back out with the belt. Like nothing ever happened. Like there was no contract to fucking sign. Like he never called his boss a fucking Mark and said, jolly old St. Nick on live TV. I think we're all thinking about it too much. MJF loves this game. He loves this company and he's just working everyone like he always does. And Tony's feeding right into it. Yeah, Tony is being a big mark. Uh, with that said, so this is a great transition of MGF, whether it is in two, whether it's in 24 hours in the form of DG. By the way, you got to love DG throwing out the promotional photo of him and Switchblade for full gear. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but who will be the next AEW champion? I'm going all in on our guy, Slick. Swerve Strickland. I think the momentum is there. I think he's got a great uh, stable behind him in the Mogul Embassy. He's got a number two guy who's like straight, straight out of a movie with how entertaining and how much of a character he is. And I think Swerve is, I think Swerve's got next. Like you with me? Yeah, I don't, there's a couple other candidates, but they're not even close to the momentum that Swerve has at the moment. And they're all also like washups that may have had the championship before or have had that title shot already. I think Swerve is the clear candidate. It's just a matter of how he gets there. And I'm excited to watch. Hmm. I think once he gets back from injury, Adam Cole is the number one guy to take that title off of MJF, whether it's mm-hmm. by whether it's by hook or crook or whether it's his friend or foe. But I will put a dark horse in there. Christian, like you said, he's the top heel in AEW. He's been doing some pretty good work as of late. If if he finds a way to drop that TNT title and then focus on the championship, then I would I mean the promo battles between him and MJF with MJF still being a bit of a scumbag. I mean, it's like it's going to be nuclear warfare out there. I think that would be a great program, even whether or not Christian wins that title from him. I want to see that one at least. Christian would have an absolute field day because he it's so easy to point out, like why everyone should hate MJF and just be pissed at him. Gatesy, what do you got? Yeah, I I really like the, the call and swerve. Whoever takes the belt off of MJF, I, it has to be, I think, a first timer with that championship. because You're going to make a star off of that. MJF's, you know longest uh reign in aw history he's the face of the company now and in the future let's i think if we can say that he's he's the guy and i think it only makes sense to whoever gets that's going to get that push they're going to become that star as well um yeah i love swear i cannot get enough of him uh everything about his entrance his music all that and Slick being a part of the two, Slick's canon now in the, in the whole Swerve. Slick, Swerve. Slick is canon in, in Swerve's you know in, in this in Swerve's house, so that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, let's put a bow on the wrestling talk. Uh, we got uh, sorry for the spoilers, like War Games coming up at Survivor Series. Uh, but beyond that, it'll obviously be the Royal Rumble and eventually the Road to WrestleMania Bell. So let's put it in, boys. Who 
is going to win the 2024 Royal Rumble. Anyone, anyone feeling brave? It can't be Cody again. No. Why not? It can't be. No. It just can't no. be. That's who? A, that's not how. That's not how the top of the seventh works, Partham. Okay. <laughs> as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, let's face it. Cody getting thrown over the top rope in the Royal Rumble would potentially be one of the most heartbreaking moments in recent WWE history, on par with Daniel Bryan being thrown over before WrestleMania 30. And Partham, you know that is a spoiler, not a fact. Well, if it's if it's not Cody, then who's it going to be? And they're going to challenge Roman Reigns for the title, and then Cody's not going to challenge Roman for the title. Oh, you think you think that they're not going to let Cody wiggle his way in or something? I mean, come on. I mean, you so can make it a Cody, You can have Cody already committed to Roman, so that you only have one other title to go for because it's technically via the odds for the Rumble. Via yeah. the odds at four eleven Mania, Cody Rhodes is currently seventh. In the Royal Rumble odds at six to one. At six, Sami Zayn, five to one, along with Jey Uso and Drew McIntyre, all at five to one. Tell me Logan Paul's up there. Third, Gunther at four to one. At mm-hmm. number two, if you smell what the rock is cooking at five to two. And at number one, at t- Five to two odds, so just slightly ahead of the rock. L A night. So it's, it's a bunch of guys Royal who Rumble already had, favorite. It's a bunch of guys who already had their shot, and already one had their guy shot. who's Parthy. You think? Are you? Are you? You don't see blood? You don't see bloodline interference coming? They're going to run back another one of these challengers again for WrestleMania. Parthy, you really think the L A night got beat straight up? No, none of these guys many, got beat How many shots? Up. What shot is Kevin Owens on uh, of the universe? He's at at least three. three by now. Yeah. Yes. He's at at least three. So you're saying LA Knight can't get two with how hot he is? Top merch seller, top superstar of the company. I don't think you're ready for the megastar, Parthy. I don't think you know whose game it is. I know whose game it will ultimately be, but not within like six months. He had to wait a year between KO uh, title shots. I think they were both at the Royal Rumbles, weren't they? It's very possible. Yeah, I, I see LNA getting a title shot way down the line, but not so soon and not at WrestleMania. They get they basically gave away the main event of WrestleMania Crown Jewel, if that's what you're saying. Maniac. I mean, let's face it, they they give away some big things at Crown Jewel sometimes. Is MJF, Brother Brothers of Destruction versus DX, are you kidding me? Oh crying out. Is MJF on that list? MJF is <laughs> not on this list at the moment. I know I'm contradicting myself, but that's interesting that he's not on that list. I must say Logan Paul has the same odds as Otis. So I don't know if this list can actually be uh, trusted. I'm going to go with solo Sokoa. Oh, Just actually to- none of these odds can be trusted. Nia Jax is the, is the woman's Royal Rumble favorite Good for God. next year. No chance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. for wasting what everyone's website time. Are you looking at I'm sorry for wasting everyone's long. time, uh, but Hey, we didn't waste time here with trainer tonight. Shout out Gatesy 35, Michael Partham, slick L. Make sure you're following them all on all the platforms. we got a great Sabres game night just an hour away. Stay tuned to Crossing Swords for that. we got a great UB game uh, against Ohio as well. Stay tuned to Bullet Points for that. Uh, any shout-outs uh, before we sign off here, gents? Train red 316 means this train never stops. Let's And that's go. the bottom line because Slick L said so. <laughs> Make sure you're following on all platforms. Apple, Spotify, Spotify YouTube, YouTube. YouTube. Make sure to go have a... Good night now. Good night now. Yeah.